and welcome to the fourth installment of the Shameless Book Club. Sit back, relax, grab your favourite drink because it's the weekend and this month we read our most divisive book yet, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing by Jessie Too. It's a novel about a young Taiwanese-Australian woman named Jenna Lin who, after being recognised as a prodigy throughout childhood, has reintroduced classical violin back into her life as a 20-something Sydney cider. From practising violin for hours on end each day to sexual encounters with men, the readers are given full view of Jenna's fascinating life. We see her navigate relationships of all kinds in this book and how those relationships affect the way she views and treats herself. The novel explores themes like sex, power, desire and, of course, the loneliness Jenna can't quite shake. A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing is Jessie Tu's debut novel and is a finalist for the Readings Prize for New Australian Fiction in 2020. Annabelle interviewed Jessie about her debut book, which you'll hear in the second half of this episode. But first, let's get into it. Michelle Andrews and Annabelle Lee, welcome back to Shameless Book Club. Oh, I am gearing up. I feel like this one's going to be pretty heated and I'm excited for it. I feel like I'm going to be fighting one end and you guys are just going to be on one side. I'm so excited to see how this pans out. But to start, we've got a voicemail from Emma. Hi, Mish, Zara and Annabelle. I've just finished the September book club read. Overall, this book wasn't really one that I liked. However, the chapters in the writing was short and sharp enough to keep me reading and also a bit intrigued to see what happens in the end. I think one of the things that really frustrated me about this book was that the characters are just so unlikable and there's not really much development throughout the book with their personalities changing or growing. Jenna was still behaving very similarly throughout, which I found really irritating. This book was really not what I was expecting and didn't really live up to it for me. Mish, let's start with you. I know you have strong feelings. And let's talk about Jenna specifically. Did you like her? And if not, why not? No, I didn't like her. And I want to preface everything I say right now with the comment that I do not need to like every character from every book to enjoy it. I love messy characters. I feel like some of my favorite books of all time have explored the lives of quite complicated people. However, I hated Jenna. I did not like her at all. And I found that my lack of empathy for her and her lack of empathy for other people was really detrimental to my experience of a lonely girl as a dangerous thing. I feel like Jenna was borderline sociopathic with some of the things she did. And I've been thinking about this a lot ever since I finished it. I finished it on Monday and I've been kind of stewing on this again and again to think, okay, well, do I have to like Jenna? Does that matter? And I think her lack of empathy for the people in her life was at the crux of my disdain for her. It's kind of like an empathy chain. I have to have empathy for the characters in a book for me to enjoy it. And I have to see those characters have empathy for other people. And I feel like this was one of the few books in my life where I felt like it was almost completely devoid of empathy. And so that made it even more pointed than just being unlikable characters. To me, they felt like cold, emotionless I don't know, almost like not subhuman, that's too much, but just completely flat characters that just didn't fucking care about the people in their lives. I don't know. Zara, did you feel the same? Yeah, I felt very, very similar. I really, really didn't like Jenna. And I I don't feel like I need to like a main character or many of the characters at all to enjoy a story. 
But I think the point of this is that there wasn't much plot and there wasn't much to the story. So if you weren't invested in Jenna, you probably weren't going to love the book. And I think when it comes to Jenna, I understand that there's real depth and real context to who she is in the book. And so many people argue that she's really unlikable because she was so lonely. But I agree with you. She did some terrible things to other people in this book. She didn't just self-sabotage or self-destruct. I think she actively made the lives of the people around her worse, and I despised that. I think that hiding hiding behind the excuse of loneliness feels too weak for me. I feel like self-flagellation or self-awareness in this context doesn't excuse shitty behavior like betraying your friends. And I just think I just felt like she was emotionally bereft and I think that is probably exactly the character that Jessie 2 was trying to write. And I feel like Jessie 2 probably nailed the character that she wanted to write, but it's just not necessarily the character I'm going to be drawn to or want to read about. Annabelle, do you think quite differently? <laughs> I actually didn't dislike Jenna as a character. I didn't like her, obviously, but Mish, to your empathy point, I think it's because I have empathy as a person, so I could see why she was doing certain things. I think that even though I couldn't see a lot of myself in Jenna, which I thought that I would before reading this book, I could understand a lot of her actions and where they came from. And I think that like the idea of selfishness is really interesting because I don't think we talk about it often, but I think a lot of people are selfish to the core and Jenna was in a lot of ways. Do you think it's just selfishness though? Because to me, it was so much more than that. I feel like Jenna hated the women in her life, particularly young women, particularly friends or anyone who showed any kind of interest in her that she might deem to be threatening. And I felt like she wasn't just awful to Olivia, her best friend, she was also awful to Dresden, a girl she just met at a party one time. I think it is selfishness amongst a myriad of other factors that probably just say a lot about Jenna as a person and how she is imperfect and how a lot of people are imperfect. And for her set of circumstances, that came out in a very different way. Like I don't see myself acting the way Jenna would for sure. Reading a quality like selfishness in Jenna so plainly was confronting, but it was also really interesting to see how she navigated all of that in her life, if that makes sense. I just feel a lot of empathy for her and I don't know why. And I'm not sure whether that's because I see an Asian woman be a main character and I'm like, this is amazing and she's not, you know, the meek kind of Asian woman that you usually see in mainstream media. But I do think that I have some sort of personal attachment to Jenna in a way, in a strange way. No, I think that makes sense in a sense that, like, you don't necessarily want to excuse her behaviour and seeing, like, a messy, uncomplicated character that we normally wouldn't see in a book or even on a TV show or even on a movie is kind of refreshing. I read a really interesting review in the Adelaide Review of this book by Manal Yunus, who said there are still very few complex women of colour in Australian literature, women of colour that we're not asked to look at with pity or admiration. Even rarer are those whose stories include intimate details. As a POC writer, I find that I'm so conscious about the way that I tell our stories, whether it's about putting our best suit on or feeling as though we must have a purpose or an angle to the characters we bring to life. I wonder if that kind of speaks to you more because this was kind of a really interesting perspective that I thought about being like, I think a lot of people are drawn to this character because it's not one we've seen a lot. I think that's exactly it. It's that we don't see a lot of Asian women in TV shows and movies who are selfish at all and who know what they want and get what they want. And that's kind of the quality that I see in Jenna. And I kind of enjoyed seeing that. I I understand that. And I think as a white woman, it's important for me to say I'll never be able to relate to that experience, Annabelle. So I totally appreciate that. I think where I get lost is when people say we should embrace her imperfections. I'm not saying I expect 
perfect characters, but this character to me came across as truly awful. She came across as a woman who intentionally slept with other people's boyfriends. And I think I find that to be such an ugly trait in people in life. And I feel like I've had people in my life who have kind of had that trait as well. And guys who have intentionally slept with people who are in relationships and tried to like pull relationships apart. There was one passage of how Jenna was processing Dresden when they met at that kind of like university style party. She wrote, This perfect Chinese girl, her perfectly delicate frame, perfect cheekbones and perfect hair. Even her name, despite its novelty, seems perfect. She then proceeds to process that jealousy she felt towards Dresden by fucking her boyfriend and having a full-blown affair with him (laughs) for months after the fact. Like, I just cannot look past the fact that, to me, Jenna Lynn hated other young women and I cannot like someone who is that. And I don't see that person as imperfect. I see them as a bad person. No, Jenna definitely needs to see a psychologist, I think. She needs to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all do for various reasons, but she has a lot of issues, I think, that need to be teased out a little. Before we move on, I just want to like map out the logistics of one scene that didn't really make sense to me at the time of reading it and hasn't made sense to me in the preceding days. You know when Jenna has sex with Noah and they (laughs) swim through the ocean in the middle of the night and find a yacht, climb onto the yacht and proceed to have sex against one of the masts. Now, did it strike either of you that that just, like, how? How does that happen where you just enter enter this really dark water, swim for a bit, find a random yacht and get access to that yacht in the middle of the night? I think it spoke to how little I understand about yachts. Because... um, They were like, we just find one that's open. And I'm like, uh, are yachts often just open, like not locked up because they're in the middle of the ocean? Is it because so few people climb onto yachts? Like that fact alone, I was like, rich people just must not lock up their yachts. How do you get onto the yacht? You're swimming in the ocean. Is there like a, a ladder? onto the average yacht? How did you get on? <laughs> I should have asked Jessie this when I interviewed her. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sex, we've got a voicemail from Melissa who wants to talk about the graphic sex scenes in the book. Hi girls, this is Alyssa. I'm really enjoying the book club so far, but by far this was the book that gave me the biggest reaction. I didn't necessarily love it the most out of all the picks, but I think there was just a lot to dissect and discuss and it was a really gritty text to talk about. I ended up liking the book, but I can absolutely see why people wouldn't. I definitely found the ongoing really graphic sex a bit much, but I think it worked to demonstrate how little Jenna valued herself and how she's tried to find power and self-value in her sexual partners and, for example, being chosen by men who were in relationships and feeling like she'd achieved something or won something by doing this. I really enjoyed the book and looking forward to hearing you girls discuss it. Thank you so much for the book club and I can't wait for it next month. Zara, 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 I want to know how you felt about the sex scenes. Did they make you uncomfortable? (laughs) Yeah, I found them uncomfortable. I don't find sex scenes uncomfortable. I quite like reading about sex. I don't mind it at all. I find it quite an interesting craft because I can't really imagine myself sitting down at my computer as a writer writing about how sex is kind of built or created but (laughs) sex is built (laughs) whatever let's be clinical and I will acknowledge that it's a good thing for us to be reading about the many many different ways that women can experience and enjoy or not enjoy sex like we are so rarely given the opportunity to see women enjoy sex that is violent and aggressive and so tied to power I really didn't like reading how aggressive the sex was and I think that I think it's so deeply tied to how you personally have experienced sex. I read this piece that 
Jessie Two wrote for Primer. I'll actually put this in the show notes because reading about Jessie Two's experience in sexual therapy gave me really good insight into Jenna's experience with sex and being a sex addict. And I'm going to read a, a passage. She wrote for Primer, looking back, I can see that my upbringing played a crucial role in my struggles with my sexuality. What does that do to you? As a young girl, what does that leave you with and how does that influence the way you think about sex? She went on to write, when you grow up in a family where sex is shameful, you form strange ideas, unhealthy ideas about it. I began to only associate sex with being loved and reached for it as the only way to feel loved. I'd sleep with a man on the first date, believing that if I didn't, he wouldn't be interested in me. And I found this an interesting perspective because I thought there's far more meaning to why she wrote sex like this than just trying to be super crude and super gratuitous on the page. But like I said before, I I, I don't think I'm projecting, but I think that everybody's experience of this sex will be directly tied to how they experience it. And for me, I really struggled reading these scenes because pain or the pain and aggression that was painted in these scenes was really hard to read as someone who's you know, battled painful sex for seven years, as I recently wrote about in our book. For so long, I wanted sex to be anything other than painful. And so to read someone who is self-inflicting pain and aggression was almost quite triggering to read. It was really odd. I felt like completely seized up when I read these scenes because it was the very feeling in sex that I have tried to escape for so long. So I don't think many people can read the sex stuff and not directly compare it to their own experience or project their own experience. Do you think that's fair, Mish? This was probably one of my least favourite aspects of the novel. I found these sex scenes to be the definition of jarring. I actively hated it. Every time sex came up, I found myself recoiling. And of course, Jessie too might be intending for the reader to have that experience. But I think the more I read the sex scenes as this book went on, the more I realised I don't think Jessie too wrote this book for people to enjoy it in like the classical sense of why I go to books. She wrote it to like send a message to the reader, which is fine, but that's not what I enjoy when I kind of read novels. I think this set off on the wrong foot for me from page one when I had to read the word and you're going to have to beat me out for the final edit of this, Annabelle. (laughs) Salivating. I am still recoiling from that. I am still internally shrieking at that line. And of course, I know Jessie Two's doing that for it to be like a punch in the stomach or a punch in the face and for people to be really taken aback and I guess thrown off course from page one with this book. But I don't like that. I don't like reading vaginas (laughs) described as meat. I don't like reading really (laughs) grotesque descriptions of semen being stuck to her leg or her mouth or whatever when she wakes up the next morning. In fact, I find that really gross. Sorry, I know that I'm supposed to probably be more analytical about it, (laughs) but I'm not. And maybe that's silly and immature of me, but I genuinely hated it every time sex was mentioned in this book. What about you, Annabelle? No, I felt the exact same. I was very uncomfortable reading those scenes, but never once when I read those graphic sex scenes did I blame the writing for my uncomfort. I think it just made me question my own, I guess, maybe ignorance to the fact that women have sexual desires. Sometimes they're kinky, I don't know, and they're allowed to express that however they want. I do agree, though, with Zara that it was the emotionless sex that kind of made me feel uncomfortable, that it seemed very empty and there was like nothing attached to the physical act of sex for Jenna. I think it's this idea that like in the book, sex was painted in like a really animalistic way. And 
I guess there is nothing human about it. And if you've experienced sex in a way that kind of makes you feel a little bit less human or a little bit more empty to read this is probably quite hard. So I just, I believe so fundamentally that your experience of sex will colour how you experience the reading of this sex. I do want to talk to you guys about one element that actually offended me. And I can't remember the last time I've been offended by a fiction book. And again, I don't even know if it's fair for me to be offended by this, but I didn't enjoy the mention, it felt so unnecessary, just the mention that Jenna wanted to be raped and that was a sexual assault fantasy that she had. I feel like if you're going to put something that charged and that loaded into a book, it's helpful to at least tease it out or explore it or analyze it, not just put it there for the sake of shock value. And I think given we know that one in five women have had an experience of sexual assault in their lifetime, I'm just not sure it's a necessary powerful, meaningful thing to put in a book to say that this protagonist has a rape fantasy and then just to leave it there and for it to be there for no other point than to have it there. Do you guys think that's fair of me? I was actually upset when I read that and then never heard of it again, never saw it kind of explored in any other way. No, I do agree. I think there were many moments in this book where it seemed Jesse dropped this random, really, really problematic bomb and then she just didn't tease it out. And I struggled with those moments as well. What about you, Zara? Well, I think I agree with both of you so wholeheartedly. I think when it comes to that kind of fantasy, if you are going to include it in this book, it has to be teased out. It has to be fleshed out. It has to have some greater meaning than just existing, as you say, Mish, for shock value. But if that reference was pulled from the book, nothing thing from the book would have changed like not a thing in my mind I think we still had a really good understanding of Jenna's relationship with sex and of men and of violence in both of those contexts like it didn't it didn't force home any other point than we already understood rather than potentially alienating and shocking a whole contingent of young women who are reading this book because it's a very confronting thing to consider Coming up after the break, what the hell was going on between Jenna and Banks? But first, it's time for a word from today's sponsor. Guys, it's time to hear our third voicemail. This one's from Michelle, and she wants to talk about all the mystery in the plot lines. Hi, my name's Michelle, and I am shocked at how many people didn't like this month's book. I really loved A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. I think it makes you think about a lot of different topics, and I kind of love the mystery about her childhood and her trauma and the fact that we're not really sure what happened with Banks. I also think it was almost a realistic view at opening someone's life at one point and then leaving it at another. And to me, it sort of almost read like Jessie was focusing on a diary entry type style. Lots of people are saying they're so disappointed there wasn't a storyline. But to me, I don't feel like life has a storyline. Things happen and the older you get, the more that things from your child start to rear their head in your 20s and start to teach you some lessons or maybe make you think a little bit about why they're happening. So I absolutely love this book. Mish, let's start with you. What did you think about the mystery in this book and did you want those gaps to be filled or were you happy with how it was? Look, I don't mind 
a few question marks. I kind of like coming to my own conclusions with things. I don't really like it when books have super neat bows on every storyline at the end. And I will say, like, I don't care if a book has a weaker plot line. I think Zara is right at the top of this episode when she said, if it has a weaker plot, you need to buy into the characters. And I think that's why I've been so confused in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Book Club, how many people have tried to compare A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing to Sally Rooney's oh my Normal God, People. I know. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't feel like these books are similar at all. Sure, they're both character driven. But the characters in Normal People are so much more likable than in A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. Same with Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Some people called our hotline and tried to compare those books as well. To me, they are absolutely not the same thing. So no, I don't care if something doesn't have a really rigid plot. And I do feel like this fluid plot and this kind of snapshot of Jenna's life helped to explore her loneliness. But yeah, I don't don't think I needed many more answers than what I got. Did you, Zara? Yeah, heaps. I'm (laughs) such a basic reader. I'm probably a very immature reader. I want the answers. I'm not going to lie. I struggled with the fact there was so much mystery. I feel like when a plot is full of mystery, and I love love little hints to mystery that where you can kind of create the puzzle in your head, but I I struggled to even know where the puzzle started in some of these (laughs) plot lines. And I think when that happens, you almost feel lonely reading. And I know that sounds really silly and it's probably kind of meta for a book about loneliness, but when I feel like there are plot holes or stuff I don't understand, it makes me feel like I've missed something and that I need to go back and find it. And it's not till after when I have conversations with people that I realize I wasn't alone. That said, I did read a really interesting comment in our Facebook group from Daniela, who said, overall, I feel like there wasn't much character development and often seemed like Jenna was just moving in circles, but maybe it was to capture how insidious loneliness can be. And that was kind of the first time that adequately explained to me why there was so little character development or plotline, because maybe that's the most powerful thing of all, to just kind of paint a picture of how insidious loneliness can be. I think the fact that this book had kind of no plot line was what won me over. Like it was a pretty brutal portrayal of life, like lonely life and how the reality is for some people kind of empty and bleak and lonely. And also the fact that so many questions were left unanswered. It was interesting to me that I could fill in the gaps as a reader and determine the endings in my mind. Should we tease out some of the question marks? Let's tease out. (laughs) I want to start with Jenna and Banks because I think that was the main one for me that stood out. Because to be blunt, I didn't understand why she was so traumatised or why this was a girl who was struggling so much with things that happened previously in life, if it was just that she had walked in on Banks and her mother kissing. I understand how that would be difficult as a teenager and I understand how that would definitely stay with you as a traumatic experience. But to then have it play out across your life to this extent and this degree didn't seem to add up to me. So how I filled in the blanks here was that I figured that Jenna loved Banks as a teenager and probably still loved him in a very complicated way as a 23-year-old woman. And the connection I made here, I'm not sure if you guys picked up on this, but one of the early scenes where Jenna's watching porn, she's watching a dynamic between obviously actors playing out the dynamic of a daughter and a stepfather. And elsewhere in the book, Jenna referred to Banks as her kind of second father figure or like a stepfather to her. So I wonder if she developed this weird, like erotic sexual attachment to Banks, but also had that power dynamic and was very confused about the whole thing. And that's why seeing him with her mother was so difficult for her to overcome. Yeah, that's kind of where I got to by the end. Honestly, I came to that conclusion really late, but it seemed like 
really intricate and I don't know whether she knew how she felt about banks. What about you, Zara? What did you think? I think you're right, Annabelle. I think that there was some great commentary in our Facebook group too of people saying maybe she really just didn't know why she was so kind of linked to this man or invested in this man and that's why we as a reader didn't quite get insight either. But I feel like the only satisfying way I can look back on this book is to make the assumption that something much worse happened to her as a kid that led to that breakdown. And I say satisfying in a weird way, but I mean more like the story to me would make more sense if there was more to it that led to that breakdown on stage. Because I agree with you, Mish. I feel like there were just unresolved, intense feelings she had towards Banks because she referenced so often how much she basically ruined his life. Well, she kept saying throughout the book, you know, after all I did to ruin things with him or what after I did that to him. And to me, I was like, but you've only really thrown away one performance. Like the intensity of the guilt and regret you feel says to me that there's so much more going on. The other one that I want to tease out is fucking Tuba. (laughs) I have an embarrassing thing to admit. I assumed, okay, and I think this is kind of fair in the start, that she just nicknamed him after the instrument, that this is Tuba guy who plays the tuba. But then the name stuck and I was like, maybe I'm a fucking idiot. Maybe his name is actually Tuba. And oh then my I God. realized, what, part, what kind of guy just has the name Tuba and ends up in an orchestra? <laughs> like he's clearly still his nickname Tuba, but it's, it's referenced in such a legitimate way that I was just going around in circles. Did you think that, Annabelle? <laughs> it would have been hilarious if his name was Tuba. Meant to be, meant to be. This is what I'm supposed to do for a living (laughs) yeah their relationship was confusing I don't know now that I'm thinking about it there were a lot of things that I didn't connect the dots with and I think because of the nature of the book I was just like oh yeah Jenna didn't know so we won't know but I don't really know what (laughs) ended up happening with Tuba I'm not gonna lie guys I didn't care about Tuba Zara kept calling me while we were working our way through this book being like what's the deal with Tuba and I was like (laughs) does it matter like Tuba feels so irrelevant to the plot to me like is he even a main player she just loves the name (laughs) what about the threesome this is what's so fucking confusing because I saw people in our Facebook group be like can't men and women just be friends like it was just a platonic relationship and I reject that point I agree men and women can be friends but we were led down the fucking garden path with Tuba Mm. and Jenna there was some weird failed threesome that didn't happen Tuba was annoyed for her sleeping with his ex I feel like there was all this hinting that their relationship was going to be a key player in this book and their relationship was going to evolve into something far more important and I feel like he's role in that novel was just to tie it up kind of neatly at the end to randomly create this fucking orchestra that she could then lead. Yeah. What I didn't get was that threesome scene. The threesome scene dynamic to me felt like Jenna was being pressured into something she didn't want to do. Like she ran out of that apartment and was really distressed by the whole thing. So to then have Tuba depicted as this like stand-up guy that she wanted to be friends with and keep in her life, I think that was a really prominent confusion to me throughout this book that Tuba seemed to pressure her or try to pressure her into that threesome and then Mark who is physically abusive sexually violent towards her just an a-grade fucking dickhead douchebag suddenly (laughs) comes back into her life on the last page like what the fuck was that yeah talk about unlikable characters Mark is like a pure unlikable character he has like no depth to him I hate Mark Do you know who I imagine Mark to look like? And this actually might be a really unpopular opinion, but you know when you kind of create visuals in your head and you realise that your visuals aren't the same as everybody else? I imagine Mark to look like an older version of Adam Driver. No! Adam 
Driver's nah. character in Girls was kind of fucked up. So maybe that's where you've joined the dots. <laughs> you, maybe. What do you think about Mark and Jenna's relationship though, Annabelle? Oh, it was it was twisted in so many ways. Mark and Jenna's relationship was something that I read and it was like my biggest fear come to life on the page, if that makes sense. Like mm. as an Asian woman and like dating in the past, I've always been kind of terrified of men fetishizing me and Mark's actions on the page were exactly what I'd always feared. And so I just hated him like to the core. Yeah. Oh, like one thing that stuck out to me as well. Sorry. Now that we've started bringing <laughs> up all the questions, <laughs> it turns out I have about a thousand. So, you know, one of the final scenes where Jenna's at the cafe with her mum and they're kind of like talking about things doesn't Jenna then have a realization or Jenna admits to herself that Mark never broke up with Dresden was it that Jenna lied to herself and said that they were broken up now and then she was working through that or did he legitimately just lie to her about breaking up with Dresden or did it just occur to her that they were back together like do you guys did you guys read that be like wait what oh wait no I'm lost now yeah I just yeah now that you say that I just couldn't be fucked by the end of things that we do together <laughs> I assumed that he had broken up with Dresden and then quickly got back together with her but I don't know I assumed he was lying because I'd completely villainized him in my head yeah. he probably <laughs> was I'm an idiot final comment on the relationships do you guys agree with me when I say the tension between Olivia and Jenna was wrapped up too neatly too quickly too seamlessly for the clusterfuck that happened throughout the book I could not believe that that friendship where Jenna fucked her boyfriend ended up being fine because they smiled at each other over their like violins yeah this pissed me off because I was like if you're gonna go through an entire book with really little plot and very little resolution don't fucking resolve the one relationship that Jenna doesn't deserve to have resolved like that felt very against the grain to me very confusing and very against the the style of writing and the style of story that we were consuming no I totally agree with you especially considering the complicated reality of so many friendships is that sometimes they just fall apart for reasons that are often a lot less intense than sleeping with someone's boyfriend. <laughs> Guys, let's talk ratings. It's that time of the day to talk about <laughs> ratings. Zara, let's start with you. Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I think about a four. Oh, God, that hurt me personally. <laughs> Any reasons for a four or are we just keeping it simple today? No, that's fair. You should always ask me to justify my mark. That's that's a good hosting thing to do. Look, to be totally honest with you, I say my rating is based on my level of enjoyment in the moment about the book. And I did not flip through this very quickly. I did not enjoy the experience of reading it. That said, I think there's a different experience to be had after the book where you're kind of bouncing off people and you're debating it. And I have really enjoyed the really robust debates that have come from this book. Like I've, I've loved the role that this book has played in our book club. I've loved doing some digging later to try and work out what everything meant. So my experience after reading the book has been quite enjoyable. But, you know, if I'm just talking about my experience of reading that book, I didn't have the best time. I would love to share my screen with you right now because I wrote three out of 10, then I crossed it out and wrote four out of 10 before I jumped on this recording. So I agree with Zara, four out of 10. Look, it was a beautifully written book. Like I think Jessie too is one of the most skillful and powerful writers to come out of Australia for quite a long time. I think she's an incredible author. I'm so excited that this is her debut book. However, I think this has really taught me that I am just not compatible with some books. Books are like dating and a book that you're super compatible with, Annabelle, I might not be. And this was just not the book for me. I didn't enjoy it. I did not like the characters, particularly the protagonist. And for that reason, it has to be a four. If I was judging this book just on like the prose, 
it would be a nine or a 10 because it was such gorgeous writing that I, I breezed through it. I read it in less than a week. So that shows how captivating the actual writing was. As far as the story goes, that's where it really fell down for me. Fours all round. I'm going for a 9.5. Honestly, I was almost swayed by all of the confused slash negative reviews in our Facebook group, but I decided to stick to my guns because I did really enjoy reading the book. I sometimes struggle attention span wise getting through a book and not feeling like it's slow. And I think Jesse too did a really good job at keeping it pacey and interesting. And even though there were some fucked up themes, <laughs> I all in all enjoyed that they were discussed in the first place. So, Jesse, well done. You've done great. Hey! <laughs> we love a bit of variety with our ratings. Annabelle, I can tell you this. I cannot wait to hear this chat between you and Jesse too. Actually, let's get straight into that chat, guys. I sat down with the author of A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing, Jesse Too. It was such a wonderful chat, and here it is. Jesse Too, welcome to Shameless Book Club. I am so stoked that I get to sit down with you today. I guess virtually sit down. We're not we're not actually together. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. Jesse, I want to start this chat with Where this all began, I guess, I read in a couple of interviews that you were angry when you wrote this book. Why was that? I think I was angry and also confused because I found myself in this like perpetual cycle of being in relationships where I was really compromising my own well-being and emotionally not in right places and it all kind of after a while I began to see a trend in the ways in my engagement with men and I was like this isn't right and so I thought like I needed a way to sort of take myself away from my own life and then write a character outside of my own sort of identity but also had similar experiences to me in order to sort of try and answer the questions that I had that, you know, were really confusing me at that time in regards to all the sort of toxic behaviour I had found myself in. I guess this leads me well into my next question because this book raises so many themes that often go unspoken like sex and power and control and the loneliness that accompanies all of that. As a woman and an Asian woman in particular, why was it important for you to write about those things as candidly as you did? Yeah, um, a lot of people when I do openly not just in my fiction writing but also in my journalism, I often just talk about myself very, very candidly and openly. A lot of people often say to me, oh, that's really brave or whatever, but I never feel like it's brave. For me, I think the reason why it's so easy for me to be so open about my own experience and wanting to project different iterations of Asian females is because we lack so much of it in Australia, right? I mean, mm. in a, I think, I believe in America, I mean, in fact, I know in America it's way better um, for a host of different reasons. But in Australia, we don't have many versions of what an uh, Asian woman looks like. And I was just so desperate to to see that. And then, you know, when you don't see something, then you guess, I guess you just get pushed to a corner where the frustration builds over years that you just come to a place where you say, well, if no one's doing it, I better do it. 
I think that's why your book stuck with me so much because I'd never read an Asian woman growing up in Australia in such a complex way. And I loved that about the book. Cool. (laughs) Thank you. Jesse. I know you yourself used to play the classical violin, as did Jenna. You also told The Guardian that despite that fact, Jenna isn't an autobiographical character. So I'm curious to know why you decided to make classical music and I guess the discipline required to be a classical musician such a focal point in the book. Yeah, I think it's because I feel like classical music and being good at it is almost like there's an alignment to that sort of discipline and alignment to that kind of discipline to what it means to be a woman. Like I feel like um, woman, femalehood and womanhood and being an adult woman comes with so many kind of rules and they're very unspoken. People don't go out and explicitly say that. But, you know, like we need to do so many things to correct our like physical appearance, our mannerisms, you know, this, this incessant need and pressure for us to be likable in the workplace as well as in the home. And, you know, it feels like I, I just see so many kind of inextricable links between w- being very disciplined in classical music and what it means to be a modern day woman. Jessie, I really loved the way you depicted the imperfect friendships in this book. So I wonder, did you find the platonic relationships or the romantic ones more difficult to write? Because the romantic ones were also pretty complicated as well. I think they were equally complex, perhaps a little bit more the friendship because it's not as explored as the romantic relationships. Um, I'd just say just in the literature that I've read, the society, I feel, makes us believe that romantic relationships are more important. And so consequently, the sort of quote-unquote classical canon of literature has spend more time publishing words about the romantic relationships. But I find that the friendships are way more interesting and way more complex because there's so much different nuances within relationships, especially between women, especially with it between platonic female relationships that are so deeply yet to be explored. And I was really fascinated by what that meant for me writing this book. Jenna, She experienced loneliness and isolation in the context of family life as well. In one of the final chapters where Jenna's mother explained the experiment to her, it was especially interesting to me how this conversation that I thought was really about expressing pain over their fractured relationship, it was really brief and indirect. And to me, that communication style spoke a lot to Asian culture Mm. Was that your intention? And and if so, why did you decide to include that conversation? I think to answer the latter question first, I guess that was part of learning how to write a novel. You needed some sort of resolution at the end. I mean, it's not a very deeply satisfying one, but I never want to tie a bow at the end of a story. I, I like stories that end with a sort of vagueness to it so that the audience can come in and interpret it as according to their own whatever life stage that they're in or whatever experience or past backgrounds that they have. But definitely I needed to keep that open-ended and kind of vague and because, yeah, like you said, um, so much of what it means to be an Asian, no matter where you live in the world, you come with the sort of pedigree and back the I wouldn't say baggage because I feel like there are negative connotations associated with that word, but kind of your parents' history and the historic sort of 
attitude that they have with Asian culture, which which is primarily something, um, a culture where a lot of things are unspoken, where a lot of things are assumed. And there's sort of like a murkiness to that, that I've always struggled with. And I really wanted to bring that out through this, yeah, this sort of subplot. I feel like in Asian families, everyone's just trying to mind read. No one actually says anything I know, I uh, exactly. And it's so infuriating. <laughs> it's definitely tainted a lot of my relationships with other people now. They're like, why aren't you asking me questions? Or why aren't you just telling me what you're thinking? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really tricky. <laughs> this might be a hard question, but do you have a favourite character in the book? I think I do. I think my favourite characters are um, Jacob and... Tuba is also someone I really love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or actually Appman because the relationship that she has with Appman is so she doesn't f- seek his approval and then so therefore she feels very comfortable asking for what she wants. By the end of the book, Jesse, a lot of questions remain unanswered and I think that's purposeful, but do you have a picture in your mind of where you saw certain storylines and relationships going? I don't know. I don't see past what I've written I think um I when I finished the story where I finished it it was very much that was the end of like my relationship to those characters yeah a lot of people have read it and said oh tell me like what happens you know is there a sequel but um at the moment I'm I I don't see that happening (laughs) no sequel no part two Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. I've had a blast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for listening to this fourth installment of Shameless Book Club. Next month, we will be changing things up a lot. We're going back into the archives to read a world-famous book that has sold more than two million copies and won copious awards. The book is called A Man Called Ove. This novel by Frederick Backman is supposed to be one of the most life-affirming, wholesome books of the last century, and we can't wait to sink our teeth into it. If you want to read along with us next month, just purchase your copy via the link in our show notes. While we're here talking about books, it is my duty, no, really, they're forcing me to, to remind you that Zara and Misha's debut book, The Space Between, is in stores now. It's a novel for any 20-something stumbling through the strange limbo that is your 20s. And I think that's my scripted plug done. Thanks, guys. The girls will be back in your ears on Monday. 